0: But it is a joy and privilege to be here. Thank you so much. I love to teach and preach God's Word. I love to see it change people's lives, the light bulb going off, um, things like that. So uh, when I heard that uh, you all were looking for some some help on Saturday nights, I was like, I'd love to do that. If that would be helpful, I would love to do that. So here I am, um, and I said, so what do you want me to preach on? They said, well, we're going through the book of Matthew. I said, really? So are we. And so uh, we're ahead of you guys. So I'm like, all right, we got this nailed. All I got to do is go back. And I don't re-preach sermons because they're usually so far apart. I'm not embarrassed by the way I preached it. But I'm like, this was just a little bit ago. So I go to look at my notes and somebody preached for me that day. So yes, fresh, fresh uh, for you as well. So we are in Matthew 16 and we're going to start in verse 21 and and go through 28. And uh, we're going to, I'm going to just kind of assume maybe that there's a few people in the room maybe that haven't been here for a sermon series through Matthew and just kind of touch base on a couple of things for context real quick. First of all, book of Matthew is written by Matthew, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus who then became one of the 12 apostles. Um, he is one of the two gospel writers that walked with Jesus, um, Matthew and John. And so he got to see his front row seat. He got to see uh, a lot of what he's writing about. And he orders it, as he's led by the Holy Spirit in such a way to communicate some truths. Um, Every week when I would talk about Matthew, I would say there's three, kind of a sweeping theme through the book of Matthew. And it kind of goes like this, and I didn't come up with this, um, and, and it's basically this. Jesus has all authority so that all nations might pledge all allegiance to him. Jesus has all authority so that all nations might... Pledge all allegiance to him. And actually you can find that in the Great Commission at the very last chapter of the very of the book of Ant- it's there in the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Holy Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And surely I will be with you until the end of the age. So uh, just kind of that they're all wrapped up there at the end, but it's throughout. You can see it in Matthew one, you can see it at the end, and you can see it all the way through. Jesus has the authority. And, and what you're going to find here is we answer this question is that he's going to once again talk about his authority in this way. Jesus is going to, we're going to answer the question, how does Jesus summarize Christianity? Okay, I, I, I originally said, how do, what is the summary of Christianity? And then I went, well, I actually like how does Jesus summarize it because he is going to summarize it here in an unlikely way, in a surprising way. So uh, last week, I assume someone preached on the verses that preceded this. If they did, they would have talked about how, um, how um, Jesus asked the disciples a question. Who do people say that I am? And they gave him some answers, and then he follows up with, well, who do you say that I am? Super important question. I'm going to assume you wrestled with that some last week. Peter answers the question, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus applauds and, you know, celebrates Peter, and Peter's, you know, oh man, I, I, yes, smiling Jesus on me, and, and, and you think about what he said, you are the Christ, and that would have meant you are the king, you are the anointed one, prophet, priest, and king, but not just a prophet, priest, and king, but the prophet of prophets, Priest of priests, king of kings, even though they wouldn't have really understood that, that's who he is, and so there's authority with all of that that comes from none other than the Father. All of that's there. Matthew knows that this because he's writing it, but the disciples aren't there yet. But Peter, speaking, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, at least that's what Jesus implies, nails it, you are the Christ, you are the Son of the living God. And then he says, well done, I'm going to change your name to Peter, and I'm going to build my church on that confession of faith. And he's doing that. He's building his church on that confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so probably, I don't know how much time passes. It doesn't read like very much time passes. We don't know for sure. Um, but it feels like it's really close together. And what happens here is starting in verse 21, Matthew writes, from that time on, that is from the time that Jesus declares you know, foundation of the church, first time Jesus mentions church, um, in Matthew, it's, he's only mentioned, he only mentions it twice. The keys to the kingdom are mentioned. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So he's it's, it's at a point where okay, he sees that the Father is saying, okay, things are beginning to shift as you head towards your final ultimate act of surrender on the cross things are starting you need to start talking more directly to your disciples and so he he basically is, that's why Matthew says from that time on Jesus began to explain you know they're they're in the dark but he's going to give them more light but when he starts to explain he says things they don't expect because when they think Christ when they think king they're thinking a ruler from a position of power similar to King David a thousand years earlier who ruled with great strength and power and might, and he did it with great integrity most of the time. And, and so, you know, man after God's own heart. And so they're picturing, well, if he's like David, he's going to be like David. But he's not like David in the way he brings in the kingdom. In fact, he, he's counter in a lot of ways. Now the heart is, is there, but there's, there's this sense in which I'm not going to raise up an army and create a revolution, at least not in the sense that you're thinking of. And so when the disciples hear this, they hear Jesus say, I must go to Jerusalem, I must suffer. Okay, And if you study the book of Isaiah, you'll see the Messiah described two, one of two ways. You'll see him described as a conquering king, and you'll see him described as a suffering servant. And a lot of the rabbis would debate. Well, which, who is who? What is that? How is, they can't be the same person. But, but he's talking about the Messiah. So they, it was almost like they said, well, we, we'll just set this suffering servant aside over here and we'll go with this conquering king. Yeah, we like that. He's like David. I can picture that. I can't picture that. And, and that's why they didn't see it coming. Well, it's, you know century after century after century of that mindset there's just no room in their in their paradigm for suffering as the way to victory okay but here's the principle that jesus is teaching and you're not going to see this in very many churches and you're not going to hear this from very many pulpits but it's right here you'll see it the way to the the way to the crown is through a cross and it's not just true for jesus That's the way he's calling us to follow him. That's why he says, deny yourself and take up your cross. And he doesn't say, that's just how some are going to do that. That's not just how some should live. That's not how other Christians should live. That's how I should live. So let me show you where that comes from. So he says these things, and he, he ends it with, and be raised to life, but it's like that did never register. That went right over their head. All they heard was suffer and die. And see, they also know in the back of their minds, if Jesus dies, this does not go well for his disciples. We do not want to suffer and die. Peter took him aside and did the unthinkable, really. Took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus, right? All Scripture is profitable for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. Yeah, Peter, but I don't think this is exactly what they had in mind when they wrote that. right? I think it was, you know, you rebuke one another, not Jesus who is Lord and perfectly in charge. And yet, he's so feeling good. He's still on that high from, well done, uh, Peter. Uh, I'm going to give you a new name. Well, he calls him another name, and it's not so uh, good. Never, Lord, is what he says to Jesus. Never, Lord. And so, in other words, you're wrong, and you shouldn't want that, and you shouldn't go down that road, because that's not the way God takes care of his people. And, and Matthew uses the word rebuke, so he could have said this in a couple of different ways, but let's just cut to the chase. He rebuked Jesus. Well, um, and then he finishes, this shall never happen to you. This shall never happen to you. He's like declaring as if he's Lord. It's like he's switched places with Jesus. Well, Jesus fixes that really quickly, as Jesus is wont to do. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. I don't think he was smiling when he said that. And when I've read this historically uh, over the years, I've always thought, he's looking over the shoulder at Satan. I kind of pictured that. Certainly, he's not calling Peter Satan. But look at what else he says. And I think he is. You are a stumbling block to me. Okay, you could go either way with that statement. But then he says, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And I don't think Satan has human concerns. I don't think he's concerned about anybody or anything but himself and his own worship me. So this tells me, I think, he's looking at Peter and he's calling him Satan and he's to make a point, if nothing else. You're out of bounds. You're really out of bounds. You have already forgotten who you said I was. Meaning, you don't really understand. But don't we do the same thing? We know the answer to the question, who is Jesus, don't we? But do we remember in such a way that it informs our actions and behaviors on a consistent basis? I'll let you answer that question. Verse 24 gets at the heart of how Jesus summarizes Christianity. Jesus turned and said to Peter, we said that. Then Jesus said to his disciples. So, he, is he, so Peter pulls him aside. He's over, it's kind of like Peter pulled him aside. He said, Jesus, never, Lord. And, and it's like Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's just it's just that simple what is the summary of christian faith it's yes jesus yes lord i surrender all you know and it's not just sing the song it's like actually live surrendered um, there's some there's some real simple symmetry here if you look at this verse he starts it with if anyone come after me or if anyone be my disciple, and then he ends it with follow me, which is basically saying the same thing. And then it's like, the, it's like a um, scholars call this a chiasm. It's like a chevron shape. And, and the idea is that the author is writing intentionally in such a way, or the Holy Spirit is guiding that author to write in such a way that the main point is obvious based on the structure of the passage. And sometimes it's just a verse. Sometimes it's a whole passage. Sometimes it's even more than that. And here, it's, the point is to make the point at the middle. And the middle of the point is two phrases. Deny yourself, take up your cross. Two things that nobody likes to do. Hello? Right? I mean, who wants to say no to your flesh? Right? I mean, I really do want seconds flesh. And I don't really, uh, yeah, that's what I want. And, it's, and we don't like to do things like fast food, and I don't mean McDonald's, I mean like fast from food, we don't like that, and the flesh doesn't like that, and yet, deny ourselves, that's exactly what fasting is, it's saying to self, I'm going to say no to you, I don't have to, this is not a legalistic activity, this is a choice I'm making so that when I need to say no to you, and I don't have the strength God will have i'll have the spiritual strength to to follow through jesus fasted for 40 days at the end of that 40 days he is weaker physically than he's probably ever been but he is stronger spiritually than he's ever been i mean I, i don't know is that possible the human jesus i would believe he's at least strong enough to resist satan hello i don't want to be anywhere near him And he stands up to him and he answers his three temptations with scripture powerfully and then the angels come and minister to him as Satan runs with his tail tucked between his legs. Deny yourself. That's the deny yourself. Fasting to me is what comes to mind most because that's, that's a spiritual discipline. It's one of many spiritual disciplines that is there for us to practice to strengthen ourselves, to be able to say no to ourselves when we need to say no. Like when we don't feel like it. Like, I want to hit snooze. No, I don't want to hit snooze. I'm going to get up anyway and, and make time, for example. I'm going to say no to that food just because I want to be able to say no to my body and my body is going to obey. My mind and my body, my, my, the spirit of God in me is going to give me the strength to say no when I need to say no to myself. The take up your cross is obviously pointing to that instrument of execution of death. Right, it's a willing. That's the ultimate surrender. Right, is to give up your life, and sometimes giving up your life is dying like a martyr. We don't really have that here, though. In the world, we've had more Christian martyrs in the last century than we have in the previous 19 centuries combined. So people are dying for their faith every day. Okay, people are taking this verse literally seriously. We're to take it literally seriously too. We don't have a lot of people pointing a gun at us saying, do you believe in God, like Cassie Bernal did back in, what was that, 99? I don't remember. But we every day have the decision to say, I'm going to live for Christ and if necessary die for Christ in the choices that I make throughout the day. I'm not sure which is harder, but I'm thinking living for Christ as a dead man walking is harder than dying for Christ because that's a one and done versus everyday choice. But that's just me. It's all hard for me. Take up your cross. So Jesus, is, he's not asking them to do something he hasn't done. The cross comes before the crown. First coming of Jesus, he goes to the cross. The second coming of Jesus, he'll come as a conquering king. He will have the crown. And he calls us to follow him. What else can that mean but to do what he did the way that he did it, with the heart and mindset that he had for the duration of his life. He calls us to the same thing. It's going to look different because we're all different. But we need to be willing to walk that same path. He he then moves on to the motive, and he says, basically, because if you do this, then you're going to, because I'm going to win, because I do have the crown, ahead of me because I have gone to the cross I'm going to win and those who follow me are going to win with me they're going to live with me and those who don't won't it's like you go to the cross and you get the crown you go to the crown and you get a cross and it's judgment and he's going to talk about that in 27 but 25 and 6 he says for those for whoever wants to save their life will lose it but whoever loses their life for me will find it uh, what good will it do for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So I want you to think about I, I just This to me is the easiest way I know to describe this. It's uh, open-handedness versus a close-fistedness. And it's like, okay, if I'm trying to gain things and I'm thinking like the world, I'm trying to accumulate and I'm trying to hang on to it once I get it. And it's opposed to when is open-handed god let god put things in my hands and not resist the temptation to want to cling to those things but to live so freely surrendered to him gladly submitted to him that if he puts it there i'm saying well thank you i don't deserve that and i'm going to use that to your glory unless you choose to take it out and i'm going to use it until you take it out and that's when that's when verses like it's more blessed to give than receive make more sense when we, you know, imagine if, if, if we really, really believed that it's more blessed to give than receive. That's Acts twenty thirty five. Jesus said that One of the few verses in, G, in Acts that Jesus is quoted, or at least I see red letters, I guess. But he gives us this open-handedness, and, and that's what he's calling us to. He say, when you deny yourself, you're saying, I don't deserve, I don't need, I'm going to trust you to provide and give me what I need if I need something, and I'm going to live Like you did, Jesus. Well, if last I checked, Jesus didn't have a house. He didn't have property. He didn't have a vehicle. He didn't have uh, an ancient iPhone. He didn't have anything, right? He just had what he needed. Wouldn't that be a breath of fresh air if we could live like that? That simple, not not simple-minded, but simple in that I only need what I need to do what he's called me to do. What has he called you to do? a parent he's called you to care for your family and you need a shelter for your kids right it's like is everybody's situation is different right we all have needs that are legitimate needs i'm not saying that you need to sell everything and give your money to the poor but um wait a minute seems like somebody i'm not saying go do that but you know at the same time right? isn't he saying deny yourself take up your cross and follow me jesus is saying to the parent who has a 21-year-old daughter that wants to go into the mission field and a dangerous place at that, and they try to talk her out of it because they want her to be safe. Okay? Now, as a dad of four daughters, that would be real easy for me to want to do. I want them close and lots of grandkids, right? I mean, that's, that's my flesh. But then when God said, but why are you still here? I can take you home as soon as I save you, and you'll get to do everything I'm going to call you to do, and you're going to do it better in heaven than you're going to do it here. So why are we still here? Because there's something to do here that we won't get to do there, that we can't do there. Because the only people there are disciples surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. But here, we live in a city where 90% of the people are doing something else on Sunday morning or Saturday night instead of being in the house of the Lord with his people, okay? Why is that? Because they value their time in some other way or some other place at that particular time, okay? And so why, do they do, why is that the case? Because that's what they know. That's where they are. But they, don't all, they aren't all gonna stay there. They need someone to tell them, and that's why we're still here. For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory. Jesus is coming again. This is verse 27. Uh, he's going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what they have done. So we see rewards in the Bible. Okay, He wants to, and, and that's you know, in the hereafter, most of that. Not that He's not blessing us along the way. But man, the best is so, so great. The best is really truly yet to come. Do we live in light of that? Do we live with that mindset? Or do we focus on everything here? He ends with this verse, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. And while there are a lot of different possible things that this means, and they could be true and right, I think, it's just pointing to, I think he's just pointing to the very next verse. Chapter 17, the Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John, they go up with Jesus to the top of the mountain, and Jesus you know, turns into lightning, bright light, and... They see Moses and Elijah and God the Father shows up. It's quite the light show. And I think that's what it's pointing to, which is a reminder that that is our future. Our future is in His presence. In the new heaven, and the new earth, when we don't have these old costumes and all the pain and suffering that goes with them, when we're in that new body, in that new place, in that real place, more real than anything here, forever, This little drop in the bucket of time, in the ocean of time, it's gone like that. What are we doing with it? Jesus says, if you want a summary of what I'm asking you to do, I'm asking you to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And it's really hard for you to follow me if you're not willing to deny yourself and take up your cross. In fact, I don't know what you mean if you say you follow me and don't deny yourself and don't take up your cross. That's really what he's saying. What is that? It was a positive way to say that? Let's just follow Jesus as Lord. As Lord, surrender to Him as Lord. I surrender all. You notice my hands—they're empty. I can't hold anything when I'm doing this. Surrender it all. Okay. Let's end with this little kind of picture. I want you to imagine that. Um, I want you to imagine you're you're standing in the middle of a stadium or, or an arena, and all the seats are empty. Okay, and you're, maybe you're at center field of the football field, or if it's a basketball court or whatever, and, and you just look around, there's just seats everywhere, and all those seats are em- empty. Now, let's imagine that that arena represents your life, and every seat represents a different area of your life. Okay, it represents your, your job and, and your passions, your, your family, your marriage, your, your job. I, I said that your, your um, future dreams, your bank account, your calendar. It, it, uh, it, it represents your friends and, the, and your hobbies. It represents the deep, dark secrets of your life, your thought life. It represents everything that you can imagine. Now, I want you to ask yourself a question. If Jesus is Lord of my life, that would mean he's sitting in every seat. Is he sitting in every seat of my life right now? Have I surrendered every nook and cranny of my life to him yet. And I just, you know, I haven't. I'm not up here as an example of someone who's got this. I'd, I'm an example of someone who's still struggling with that, okay? I want that. The Spirit of God in me wants that for me so that I might actually live like this, like not resisting it, not like, oh, you know, struggling, but like freely receiving this kind of life. And to do that, I need to surrender all of it. My kids, now I have grandkids. My grandkids, the future of all the dreams that I have, it's like, those are fine, but I need to submit them to him too. Gladly submitted to him. So I just want to ask you to consider that, to think about that as as we pray and close it. Thank you for challenging me with this, Lord, reminding me that at the end of the day, to follow Jesus is to deny myself and to take up my cross. That's what it means to follow you. And it means to do so gladly. Out of gratitude, I don't even deserve that privilege. And so, Lord, I just praise you and thank you that it's even possible that you've you've reconciled us to you so that we can live this way we're empowered to live this way but Lord there is a part of us that resists this every day every hour and so Lord I just pray that right now we would just be honest enough with ourselves to just say Lord there are areas of my life I have not surrendered to you maybe ever or maybe I did and I took them back maybe you called me to do something and I've ignored it i've put it on a shelf i've pretended it's not there i've paused it and said i'm not ready maybe there's a mindset in how i handle my money that just needs to change maybe i need to just surrender enough time in my day to make sure that i've given you my undivided attention for half an hour lord there's so many ways we could apply this lord Tap each of us on the shoulder, or maybe in the the area of our heart that just really needs us to be paying attention to right now. And then give us the humility, the grace and mercy to just have the courage to say, yes, Lord, not never, Lord, because, Lord, sometimes those areas of our lives that we we hang on to the most are areas that are connected to suffering. We're just afraid of suffering. And Lord, some people are suffering. And they're like, I'm just tired of suffering. Lord, I pray that you would help them connect the dots. That your love for them is is infinite. In the midst of their suffering, you see it, you know it, and you still say, I'm going to permit it for now. And I pray that you would give those that are suffering whether it's overtly for the gospel or or just subtly as a follower of the gospel. Lord, may you just give them an extra measure of grace to embrace that suffering and see it as the means to greater grace, the means to a better relationship with you at the end of the day. Lord, this life is a drop in the ocean of time. May we live like we believe that. In Jesus' name, amen.